Before we get to the lesson, just two pieces of information. Uh, just a reminder that although we're not passing uh, the trays for the collection every week, uh, we still are accepting contributions, and you can do that through eGiving app or the website. You can also, if you want to write a check, you can give it to one of the shepherds or to one of the ministry staff. Or you, There are a couple of drop boxes as you're leaving outside that if you want to drop a check in there, uh, that is one of the ways that you can get it into the church office. And again, thank you for your contributions and for how generous you have been as a church through this pandemic. And then uh, secondly, and this is in the form of a prayer request, uh, many of you uh, know and are very close uh, to Ruby Wilkins and uh, know that she has a rather large family in San Antonio. Uh, the end of this last week, her sister Christine was found in her home, uh, was, was taken to Samsee where it was discovered there was a lot of blood that had been lost and it was discovered that she had been shot twice in the head. And uh, she is stable right now, and she is able. She was able to talk to the EMTs. Um, uh, the police have uh, some leads that they're wanting to follow on who could have done this. Uh, there is nothing right now more to say about that than uh, the police have a couple of ideas of who they need to be talking to right now. But the main thing is that we pray for Ruby, and especially for her sister Christine. Uh, it was Christine's 19-year-old son that came out of her, his room and found his mother there on the floor. And um, I talked with Ruby yesterday uh, for a while on the phone. She gave me permission to share this with you as a prayer request. Uh, Ruby is, is doing very well. If, if you know her very well, she's just a rock of faith. And uh, she is asking for us as her church family to pray for her sister and for her extended family. And I know you'll do that. Uh, we're in a series uh, I, I'm calling Untwisted. And the reason for that is that humans are, are twisted. And we're warped at times. And we're bent. And there just doesn't seem to be any evidence out there that we're getting better on our own. There are moments when it seems like we're taking a step forward, but... The reality is, is that we're really good at making better spaceships and better planes and better microwaves. We're not very good at all and have never been able to make a better human heart. And if there's anything that social media is reminding us on a daily basis is that the human heart, as it gets expressed through social media, can be a very mean, hostile, and dark place. And that's the bad news is that we're just not getting any better on our own. But here's the good news, and as disciples of Jesus, we are people of the good news. And the good news is this, that God loves to untwist what is twisted. Not just us, but every human being who has ever lived. God loves to untwist what is twisted. And this is one of the reasons we have been gifted. We have been resourced with the Spirit of God coming into our life at baptism as we come into the family of God is for God to begin the work of untwisting our twisted life. And this is a fact. You know, when you think about God putting His Spirit inside of us, I mean, this is not some kind of an intellectual transaction that happens between God and man. I repent, God says, I forgive you, and that's it. No, God is investing His Spirit into your life. There's God's Spirit in you. And that should just stagger us in awe from time to time. That we're not part of a herd, we are recognized by the Creator God as a child 
of God, a daughter of God, a son of God. And the fact that God puts His Spirit inside of us means that this has become a very personal, personal, profoundly personal relationship. And so we need to constantly remind ourselves of this fact that Christianity is not a new set of rules or regulations, but it is a relationship and a revolution. When you become a Christian, you are not swapping out one set of rules and regulations, that is, one form of legalism or another. It is about a relationship. You are now entering into the family of God as a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. And at the same time, it's not just about your identity, but something is taking place inside of you and inside of me. It is a revolution of the human heart. You receive the Holy Spirit inside of you to become the human being you were always meant to be. And so this is why the first two lessons have focused on our understanding that the Holy Spirit is not given to you and given to me to make us weird, but to make us like Christ. The Spirit of God comes into your life as a power, helping you to develop the character of God in you. And so this is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, Walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the, fl- to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. What sin, darkness, disables in a human being, the Holy Spirit enables. You already have inside of you. As a child of God, you already have inside of you everything you need to grow. And as you walk by the Spirit, you become a person that is described in this particular passage in Galatians chapter 5 as a person of love. Not just any love, but a Holy Spirit-generated kind of love, and of joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this, as you know, is what we call the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit, it's the blossoms, it's the buds of a new character that is generated by the Holy Spirit in you. And what we want to do this morning is begin with that first descriptor of the fruit, singular, the Spirit, and that is love. Now, one of the things I really enjoy in ministry and have for the past 40 years is premarital counseling. You get these uh, young people together, they're so excited, they're so happy, and, and marriage is looming out there in front of them, and you just want to spend some time with them, helping them be prepared to be all that they can be as spouses to each other in that marriage. And so in the first session, we get to know each other. I usually a couple of questions after we get to know each other. The first question is, if you had to choose, would it be love or trust? Most of the time they say love. I say, yeah, that's really good. Love is important. You wouldn't even want to get together, spend the rest of your life with each other unless it was love. But don't downplay trust. Trust is huge. You can love somebody, but if you don't trust them, it's like an experience of whiplash. You're going along, going along, going along, and then something happens and trust is violated. It's like a whiplash. The second question is this. What is the opposite of love? And typically the answer is hate. And I say, nope. Hate is still an emotional connection, albeit negative, there is still an emotional connection to that other person. The opposite of love is apathy. 
The opposite of love is indifference, emotional detachment, physical, intellectual, uh, spiritual, utter and complete disengagement from a person. That person could fall off the mountain, could fall off the earth, and it wouldn't have any, it, it, it would not even be a blip on your radar. It would make no difference in your day to know that that person fell off the earth. You will never see them again. I mean, that's, that's what apathy is. And love in our culture, as you know, is kind of a slippery word. Uh, we have uh, a lot of meanings attached to one word. Love is sometimes construed as, I love you for what I can get out of you. Or sometimes it means, I love you to this but no further. Let me give you a definition of love that I, is going to be really workable for us, not only today and, and the rest of our lives, but one of the things I want you to be doing this week is we work to become better lovers of people. Love, and this comes from Dallas Willard, love is to will the good of others. It's not just to think about it. It's not just to hope the good of others. Love is to will, that is to bring into reality the good of others. Love is the opposite of apathy. It is the opposite of indifference. On the contrary, rather than just sitting back and not engaging, when you love somebody, you are proactively willing the good to that person. Now, I want to illustrate from the Bible in a place that we typically don't think about as a, an example of love. And it's John chapter 13. You know it as the towel and the basin and the washing of the disciples' feet. And we think that this story is about service, which it is in part, but that's not the way it's introduced to us. The story by the Apostle John, who was Jesus' best friend and was probably sitting on one side of him, when uh, this, this happened, wrote this story for us to understand that this is what love looks like. So look at the first couple of verses of John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening, now it's about love, right? He's going to the Father He's with those that he loves. He's not going to show them the full extent of his love. But John wants us to understand that there's a context for this love. And it's this, verse 2, The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. The, con the context for this example of the full extent of his love is the person that is going to betray him is there. Now, on the way to the meal, the disciples have been arguing with each other who was going to be the greatest. They are not willing the good of others. They are willing the good of themselves. And Jesus, knowing this, as they sit down to this meal, he does something extraordinary for these men. He wants to show what love in his kingdom looks like. And so he gets up from the table, strips down with a towel around his waist. He washes their feet, which was just a nasty, nasty, horrific, nauseating kind of a job. And Jesus does this, this nauseating job one by one, quietly. And the reason it's quiet is because they can't believe he's doing this. Now, they probably would not have any problem. You know, Peter wouldn't have any problem with John washing his feet or Bartholomew washing somebody's feet. But for Jesus to wash their feet, they're stunned. Now, we typically think about this whole encounter with the washing of the feet as something that happens really between Peter and Jesus. Don't wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet. Uh, then wash my whole body. And, and it is, but remember the context. 
This is something that happens, John tells us, while Judas is at the table. And there is no and, and here's the thing. Where John is sitting on one side, probably sitting on the other side. And there is no indication that Jesus treated the washing of Judas' feet any differently than he treated the others, although he knew that the beating he was about to take that would just go on and on and on, finally culminating in the worst way to die in the ancient world, crucifixion the next day would be triggered by this man who would betray him and lie about him and betray him, worst of all, with a kiss. And when he's done, he asks, Do you understand? He has given them an example of how to love one another. He is willing the good. He is willing the good of another even when that other is not willing his good. When Jesus is washing the feet of Judas, Judas knowing that he's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver, and Jesus looks at him, and Judas looks at Jesus, what's happening? This Friends, is the way of God. In John 3.16, the most famous, well-known passage in the New Testament, God loves the whole world that He gives, even though He knows it's going to be at the cost of His Son. But that is the way that He wills the good to every human being. His love is to will the good of humans at great cost to Himself. And when you think about it, what is it that kept Jesus on the cross? What kept Jesus on the cross? Was it the nails? He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He can turn water into wine. What could he do with a nail? Was it the Romans? Well, he had 10,000 angels. As the song says, it was his love for somebody like me. It's my sin and his love for me that keeps him on that cross. So back to John 13, Jesus says... There is a new commandment I give you, love one another. Say that with me. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We are told point blank that it is not our knowledge of the Bible, not the beauty of our building, it is not the name on the side of it, it is not our programming, but by our love distinguishes us from everyone else and anything else in the world. By this kind of love, the Jesus kind of love, people will know that you're my disciple. So the question that we ask every day is this, how do I will the good of this person? How do I will the good of this person? So I'm going to give you a challenge this week. We are not going to be indifferent. We are not going to be apathetic. We are going to learn to proactively love people in this community and in this church. So four steps. If you get the, um, the, the handout off of the, off of the website, on the back side of it is our Memorize, Pray, Glorify, the MPG. These instructions, if you don't want to write them down right now, you can find them on the website. But first thing you do tomorrow morning, Determine who it is in your life who just makes you miserable. 
I mean, all of us have kind of a, a, a list of the faces in our mind that we want to punch, right? Who is it? Who is that person at work that you go out of the way to avoid? The person in the neighborhood that you go out of the way to avoid? Is he a Republican? Is he a Democrat? Who is it? Is it somebody at work who just drives you crazy Monday through Friday that you just can't imagine spending any part of Sunday with that person at church? Determine who that person is. Easy part. Number two, you have to say out loud, I am going to will the good of, say their name, fill in the blank. And you got to say it out loud. you got to say it out loud. First thing tomorrow morning, figure out who that face is, and then say their name out loud. I'm going to will the good of that person. And then number three, you're not going to be able to do this on your own, right? I mean, you're going to not will the good of that person. That person drives me crazy. Duh! That's why God gives you the Spirit. Because you can do, through the Spirit, what you can't do on your own. Especially when it comes to loving other people, which is a kind of love that is desperately needed, not only in our church, but in our community, and in our state, and in our world. C.S. Lewis said, Christ did not teach and suffer that we might become more careful of our own happiness. you got to say it out loud. I will the good of that person. And then number three, start praying that God's Spirit will help you change. Fourthly, start willing the good of that person in small ways each day. It may be rerouting yourself through the neighborhood or through the office so that you can see that person, they can see you, and you can start by saying, good morning, hope you're having a good day. It can begin with something small like just listening. It, can, it, can, it just begins small by just noticing who they are and what they're doing and just beginning to engage that person. And as you pray on a daily basis to love that person more, the Spirit will begin to blossom in your life. The fruit of the Spirit, this love has to be intentional. Jesus did not sit in heaven looking apathetically at the earth and just say, I, you know, hey, hey I love them. I hope something good happens. I'm not doing him any harm. He leaves glory to become a man, and not just any man a servant, not just any servant, but one to death, and not just any death, death on a cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. In humility, count the needs of others better than yourself. That's the challenge. To love To love not those that can love you back, but to love even your enemy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Spirit that dwells in us, helping us to become what we could never become on our own. And as we see, maybe more clearly today, the need for this kind of love, we rely on your Spirit in us to help us grow this kind of fruit in our life. Help us to love others as Jesus has loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's stand and sing.